friends, anxiety warriors, mental health champions, brothers and sisters in sobriety, welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio, yay! I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, not a licensed healthcare professional, not a doctor, not a counselor, no, I'm a guy with 980 days of sobriety, and I'm a guy with the gumption to put his story out there. I am not yet a published author, that is a work in progress, but my guest is... Nita Sweeney joins us to talk about how at age 49, she became a runner. She has since run nearly 30 half marathons, three full marathons, and last year we both became ultra runners. She and I both ran a 50K. How cool is that? She joined us to talk a little bit about sobriety, but predominantly to talk about mental illness and the work that she does with Still I Run and her incredible book, Depression Hates a Moving Target. So grateful to Nita for joining us. So glad all of you are here. I'm looking out the window. It's freaking cold outside, but nonetheless, it's a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. So let's get it. There are many, many reasons why I'm inspired by Nita Sweeney. I want to zero in on one right now because at age 42, I am finally trying to become a swimmer. Not a fast swimmer. You know, I don't want to win any competitions, but a serviceable swimmer. And here's what I'm discovering in trying to become a good swimmer. I think what I'm learning is actually going to translate into daily life. And I have a good early returns on that the past week or so that I've been getting in the pool almost every day. I'm much happier. I'm much more grounded. What does this have to do with Anita Sweeney? Well, at age 49, she decided that she was going to be a runner. She was struggling with her mental health for a long time, like many of us had. And she wanted to get out to run in order to combat a lot of personal stuff that she was going through. Uh, you'll read in her book, depression hates a moving target that in 2007, she and her husband, Ed lost so many people. She lost her, her dad. She lost her mom, other family members. Uh, it's, it's startling the year that she had in 2007. And so in 2009, she decided, you know what, I'm going to be a runner. And it wasn't easy. You know, she started with the couch to 5k program. She writes in the book about what it was like being an anxious person running through her neighborhood and, you know, being afraid of people looking at her through the windows. I laugh because in so many ways, maybe in different incarnations, yeah, I think a lot of us understand that. Part of it is, you know, egocentrism, you know, that we think that everybody's looking at us because, you know, we, we think we're that important, but so much anxiety there when we're trying to do something new. And I am going to take Nita's strength and her bravery back to the pool with me because there's a couple of lifeguards at the YMCA who I know pretty well, one in particular, and he's given me some great tips. And with those tips, I've managed to slow myself down, focus on my form and really, really just ground myself in the water, so to speak, figuratively speaking. And in slowing down, I suddenly find myself being a much faster swimmer. Nonetheless, whenever I get into the pool and he's there watching, (laughs) I get so damn anxious. And anxiety does not marry well with swimming because it's so much about the breath, so much about being under control. But by knowing Nita's story, I know that I'm starting from that couch to 5K program. Maybe this is... Oh, what would it be? Uh, uh, swimming deck to 1K? Something like that. So I know that over time, it's going to get more comfortable. That's exciting. It's always exciting to see somebody else have success and know that each and every one of us have room for growth. Now, 
Nita and I touch a little bit about her family's, you know, history with substance abuse and a little bit about uh, her recovery. Or she just celebrated 30 years of sobriety. Whether it be substance abuse, mental health, if any of these are a struggle for you or someone who you love, I want you to check out a partner of the podcast, DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out DUISycamore.com or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit DUISycamore.com, or you can email duibhs at gmail.com. All right, do you love dogs? Do you love running? Do you love to laugh? If you answered yes to any of those, you are going to absolutely love this conversation with my dear, dear friend, Nita Sweeney. It's good to see you. How have you been? I've been all right. I've, I'm deep in revisions on the next book. And and last night, my editor sent me an email that said, hey, have you been thinking about a cover? And I went, no, I've been writing the book. <laughs> <laughs> what a great problem to have, though. Yes. Oh, my God. These are serious problems of prosperity. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Renowned author, Nita Sweeney. I, I must confess, I am I'm a huge fiction reader. Yeah. Um, and some historical fiction. I was kind of late to the party with like reading running books and uh, and mental health books and stuff. So upon confirming you as a guest, I immediately went on Amazon and ordered uh, Depression Hates a Moving Target and woke up early this morning, slightly earlier than our kids. And I, and I finished it. Oh my gosh. I, I was saying the other day that people use that phrase, can't put it down. And because of the subject matter and because what a lovely writer you are, it it really was the case that I was riveted by your oh, book. So kudos. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That, that Nothing makes an author happier than hearing someone was riveted <laughs> and that they couldn't put it down. That's amazing. That, thank you very much. That's amazing. I, I want to kind of start off on, on, on sort of an emotional topic because it's top of mind for me right now. And as I'm scrambling to get ready this morning, it's like, okay, f- first off, I need to find out if Mr. Dog is still with us. And it oh. seems that it seems that Scarlet is with us now. Yes, yes. Mr. Dog was four when I started running in 2010. And so um, he left us in 2017. He's in the okay. great dog park in the sky. And okay. he was, what was he? What was, I forget what, I can't do math, but like he was like 13 for a yellow lab. And he was oh, a yeah. big, he was a big yellow lab, scarlet smaller. He, that, that's a good long life. Um, he, uh, yeah, he had a good life. And, you know, the last year was tough. He had congestive heart failure, um, but uh, which labs are kind of notorious for getting. But he was he was really good to the end. I mean, he was just sort of like good, 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 and then he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So how recently or how long did it get you to uh, to get Scarlet? Two days. Oh, <laughs> I love it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I had a plan. Okay, was this Ed or what? So, yes, yes. So so uh, the Ed who has his own hashtag, the one hundred percent good husband, Scarlet's hashtag is the ninety nine percent good dog because she's so bad. And of course, so Ed had to have a hashtag and his is the 100% good husband. So this is a great story. So I am bereft. We wake up the second or the, yeah, it was the second day after, after Morgan had died. And the house is like a morgue. I mean, it just is, it's quiet. It's empty. We don't have any other pets. 
and Ed turned to me and he said, oh my gosh, I, I, it's just so quiet here. And I said, yeah, I said, we'll either get used to it or we'll get another dog. And in my mind, I thought, oh, maybe we'll get a, you know, if Morgan was a rescue. I thought we'll get another rescue, maybe an older dog. Cause Morgan had been, I think he was probably six months old when we got him. And I, I swear somebody lost that dog cause he was so well-trained and, but, uh, and we, we tried to find if somebody, you know, we got him through the, through a, um, uh, the pound essentially. So yeah, so I go off to the place I often write and I'm writing away and I'd actually had a phone call with the cardiologist. Morgan had his own cardiologist at the end and uh, told him that Morgan had died and, you know, um, cause he really was a great guy, great, great uh, doctor. And so I'd had this very tearful conversation with the cardiologist and I get back and I'm trying to get myself back into my writing and I get, I think I got an email. It's either an email or a text from Ed that said, I need your help. And I thought, well, this is odd. And I said, <laughs> I said, wow, what's going on? And, you know, responded, he sends me back a photo of him holding a four month old yellow lab puppy. Uh-huh. And I will not say the name of the store he was at, but it was in a shopping center strip mall. And he had gone to the bookstore. Okay. He'd gone to the bookstore and he came home with a puppy. Because there was a sign, a giant sign. He said, Nita, they were on sale. I said, Ed, they are always on sale. This was a practical decision on his part, right? He's like, I don't want to lose money in this deal. We got to get a dog. He is an accountant after all. And I, I tease him mercifully, but oh, I'm so grateful. I am so grateful because I really wanted to get another dog. Pretty, I mean, I wanted it to be a good choice and a good fit and everything. But, you know, my heart was broken. He, yeah. Morgan was, and Morgan was just such a good dog. He was kind of a once in a lifetime dog, uh, Mr. Dog. And, and so, yeah, we ended up with this four month old puppy who'd essentially, I mean, she was a puppy mill dog. And so she had been in a crate for four months, essentially, or in, you know, right. in the store where they let him play a little bit, mostly they're in a, a container. And so she had no social skills. She was not housebroken and it's been, four years and she is housebroken, but she's still, and she has better skills. We did train her, but she eats everything. I mean, everything <laughs> um, she ate. I mean, and we're talking, you know, socks and underwear and all the normal stuff, but she eats furniture. She eats sure. wallets. She eats glasses. <laughs> yeah. My, my, I, I, I wish I had my copy of your book up here because I can, I can, uh, I can relate my, our, our Husky, our two-year-old Husky oh. eats, eats books. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. Books too. The corner of your book is oh. is not on. It's very lived in now. Oh my God. Oh, Chris, you have to post a picture of that on social media someplace. <laughs> you have to. Oh my God. That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah. You'll love it. I'll, I'll do that this morning and I'll tag you. We we created bookmarks for the book and I have some bookmarks that, you know, Scarlet like gnawed half the edges off and stuff. And <laughs> what we did is we, we got um, after, oh, I don't know, just a few weeks, Ed got really smart. And he went to the hardware and got a bunch of rolls of chicken wire, you know, the, okay. yeah. And we just put chicken wire in front of everything. So around <laughs> the bookcases, I have a shoe rack where I keep my running shoes. Um, so it was in, it, I think it still actually is encased in chicken wire because I'm like, she's not touching my running shoes. And I, I forget what all, I mean, there was so much chicken wire. <laughs> she would get under things and try to chew electric cords. And so, you know, we chicken wired around tables, under desks. We were, we, we had rolls and rolls of chicken wire and it really worked. It really worked. She's four now, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we took off, I mean, most of the chicken wire is down. I think okay, the only chicken okay. wire that still is remaining is around my running shoes. And I probably could take it off now, but I just, you know, I just didn't think about it. But gradually Ed has taken down. But yeah, she, oh, she chewed the edge of the sofa. I mean, just like. <laughs> does she run with you? Yes. Yes, she, is she does. Is she any better? Does she tone it down after she runs with you? Um, she crashes for a little bit, but yeah. sometimes, especially when she was younger, she would get the zoomies after she ran. So mm -hmm. we'd go run. I mean, yeah. she'd run six miles, come home and just fly around the house. Just zoom, 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 zoom. Or out in the backyard, zoom, zoom, zoom. And then she would crash. I ask because here, here's the overview of, of our doggo timeline. Uh, we got a dog in 2010 when I was working for a hockey team and I was on the road a lot and my wife wanted a buddy while I would be on the road for a few days at a time. So we got a black lab 
named Dexter, who is eternally curled up at my feet. He's down here right now. And he immediately became a daddy's boy. And he would run with us. He was our like half marathon training buddy in his heyday during the winter. He could do eight, nine, 10 miles. And it was a couple of years ago that, like you said, everything really kind of slowed down really quickly where he could get out for like two miles and then one and a half. And it was a few months ago. He had gotten some really bad arthritis in his legs and he got really lethargic and we just figured old dog arthritis and I noticed the lump in his neck and mm. and we uh you know, I took him to the doc and the, the vet not our regular vet said you know don't worry about it I think it's you know I can get my fingers underneath it it's just a lab thing they just develop these fatty masses well a few weeks later our regular vet noticed it sent it out for a biopsy and it was a soft tissue sarcoma oh. and he gave us a next to zero chance that it would have clean margins. And so I completely like prepared, like I started, you know, grieving immediately. And a week later we got a call from the vet. Like at first thing he got in the office Monday morning, he calls me, he's like, you're not going to believe this. There is a 0.17 millimeter clean margin on the edge of that tumor. <laughs> wow. Oh my I know. gosh, amazing. This is a week before Christmas. Oh. And I was like, okay, sorry, everybody, but all your Christmas gifts now take backseat to like the greatest Christmas gift we ever could have gotten. And he has come back to life. Mm -hmm. Not running miles with us, but we had actually gotten a, a Husky uh, about a year and a half ago in, in August of 2020, total pandemic puppy. And we got her about seven months after our beagle passed away. We had to have our beagle put down. So we we discovered Lunar. She discovered us and we we adopted her. And she would just terrorize Dexter and pick at those arthritic hind legs. But after he went through that, she is so loving with him now. And they're really just dogs. Dogs are amazing. They just are. I'm, I mean, I love cats, too even like hamsters and unicorns, of course. But I, <laughs> I there's something about dogs. I always joke that I was a dog in a former life. I just really, I speak dog. <laughs> so it was, it was wonderful to hear about your relationship with Morgan. It was very, very heartwarming, as I'm sure it was for a lot of folks. You know, so much about the book that I love, and you know, we're going to talk about what still I run to, is your vulnerability. Your frankness with which you talk about your mental health journey. Uh, and you, you allude a bit, you, you talk about, you know, the history of substance abuse in your family and, and you talk about being out on runs and nature calling. And it's, it's just, it's warts and all. So I can't recommend enough that people pick it up because they'll be riveted for a number of reasons. Why do you think it was, Maybe you explained this in the book, but you had tried taking up running a few times in your life and it didn't quite stick. And finally at 49, it does. Can you, can you look back and point to why it finally did stick that time? Cause I kind of liken it to somebody getting sober where it's like, yeah, you feel good for a little while and, and, and you might relapse. And then finally one day it sticks. Like I relapsed a couple of times when I got through rehab and then finally it stuck. I know it's a little bit of apples and oranges, but you know, at age 49, how did you catch lightning in a bottle like that? I think it was the motive. Um, when I was younger, running was about losing weight. Mm -hmm. That was it. Now, there were mental health benefits, but I wasn't tuned into them as much. I didn't feel as desperate, maybe, even though I should have, because it was a hard time. But age wisens you I hate to say but you sort of learn things and this time around when I saw the social media post of a high school friend which is how I started running something in me shifted because she was the same age as me same and I gained a lot of weight too because I'm kind of a, a chronic yo-yo dieter that's that's pretty much gone now but but that um, I really did a lot of damage to my metabolism with yo-yo dieting for many years and so by 49, I was just in a different place. And the reason for running, yeah, in the back of my head, there was, oh, maybe I could lose some weight. But it was more about, 
I have got to do something. I mean, I'm going to die. I'm going to kill myself. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that that was, it was that bad. Mm -hmm. And so, so that, um, it's just the motive. The motive is different. And I think with getting sober, it's a similar thing. I and mean, I haven't had a drink in many, many years myself. And I think, too, that so many people who can't stay sober, they might be doing it for somebody else or doing it because of pressure, which all of those things can lead you to a good result, whether it's a mental health choice or, a, you know, getting out of bad relationship. Any, any reasons can lead you to take those steps. But ultimately, if it's not coming from deep inside me or if something doesn't click pretty quickly, because that's the other thing is that this time around, I started feeling physical and emotional, especially emotional results very quickly, right. very, very quickly. I mean, it, I, I, it almost still amazes me how um, and other people saw it, too. And that was the other thing, too, is other people. And they would ask me the funniest questions. They would say, did you get a haircut? Are you, are you doing something? What's, what's different? Something's different about you. And I was because I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell anybody for a long time because I was afraid it would be another, you know, want just one more thing that Nita tries and gets everybody excited. And then she's uh, on the sofa again. Right. You know, that's what. So I didn't I really did hide it for a while yeah. because of that. Um, and and I also didn't want to disappoint myself either. You know, it's like you get so excited and then fail yourself because I had failed myself many, many times. You, you mentioned that about people noticing that our, our good friend Dave Scarpello was on the uh, was on the podcast in this past episode. And he said the other day, somebody at work said to him, he's like, you know, you smile a lot more since since when you first started here. And that's that's just magic to hear that for me. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy. If you guys haven't listened to that episode make sure you listen because dave's kind of amazing so he sure is where where do you think substances came into play because for me substances were a way of of me coping with you know i suffered from lifelong depression anxiety and it was a matter of calming the voices calming the racing thoughts you know not feeling like i was living in this abyss which you know ironically you know I, eventually i just sunk further into it but in your case and in mine too, there was a you know a history of substance abuse in my family. I mean, how much of it do you think was nature and nurture? And I, I guess kind of bring me into what what substance abuse looked like for you, if you if you wouldn't mind. Oh sure. Um, well, I definitely have a family. I always say that I grew up in a house where there no there were never fewer than three full cases of long neck Budweisers in the utility room. And one of my favorite stories is when I went and was in college, um, I got my first apartment and my roommate and I went to the grocery store and she, and we were just, you know, there was nothing in the apartment. We went to the first grocery and we were just stocking the refrigerator and she started to put celery in the bottom drawer of the refrigerator. And I said, what, what are you, what are you doing? She goes, I'm putting the vegetables in the vegetable drawers. I'm like, vegetable drawers. What? That's where you keep the beer. Yeah. I mean, our vegetable drawer was full of long neck Budweiser. So that's kind of the environment I grew up with. Everything was celebrated. Everything was mourned with alcohol. You know, um, and I, I knew from pretty early in my drinking that it was not a good idea. I mean, I had consequences. The first time I was, I think I was 16, 17. First time I was able to just completely drink uh, the way I wanted to. I, you know, it was just bad news. I I didn't roll a car that night, but I did later. <laughs> yeah. And so because I had this image of my family, because I'm kind of a perfectionist, the whole straight A student, you know, honor society and in the parking lot with the drinkers, kind of a chameleon sort of thing. I tried to quit essentially from when I was 16 until I was 30. I would try to quit and then I would forget why it was a bad idea and I would drink again. So I didn't mean to come on here and give a lead, but that's kind of what this is. And so um, eventually uh, a lot of things came together. My, my mother got sober, my sister got sober, and I had this pretty bad car accident, which I walked away from. And it took me a, um, a few months after that to finally make my own decision because I had been so focused on my family being alcoholic, you know, going to some programs for that and that I... It took me a long time to recognize that I had that kind of brain that wants more and that forgetter 
that that part of me that knows that there will be consequences, but maybe not this time, mm-hmm. you know, not every time. So it's sort of a, a bit of Russian roulette. And um, I had been, I had not, like I said, I hadn't had the drink since April 15th of 1991. And so I had been uh, not drinking a long time, but I still had the mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And it took me a number of years to get help for the mental health issue because I think I thought not drinking would take care of it because I had definitely been drinking. I did medicate myself with alcohol, a little bit of drugs, mostly just alcohol. And um, uh, because I was an introvert and I became a lawyer and you have to have some kind of social lubricant to Mm, do mm. that job, I had did not have a lot of self-confidence. I still struggle with that, quite frankly. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not sure you know that my next book was actually in the Wall Street Journal last week. I saw that, um, yes. <laughs> oh my God. And uh, even that, you know, it's still the imposter syndrome is still there. And so the the alcohol took that, it took the edge off, mm-hmm. took the edge off, took the edge off, and the anxiety, all of that. So with what's interesting is without that, I still had issues and then couldn't understand why and kept thinking, you know, I turned to the whole self-help and the I don't know what you call it, manifest your reality stuff. I mean, I really went into all that kind of stuff, which ultimately I wound up in the psych ward because I was trying to turn myself into something I wasn't. And mm-hmm. um, there, there were many, many reasons. And they were all in some ways valid. You know, we call them excuses, but I needed something to help me get through. I was not coping well. Yeah. I didn't have good skills. I didn't learn good coping skills. I learned that when things go bad, you drink. And when things are good, you drink. And, you know, um, and so that's what I did. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, for me, actually, one of my greatest trappings was that to me, alcohol was, you know, a vehicle for celebration, even when things were going well at work, you know, it, that. so it wasn't just a numbing agent, you know. Mm-hmm. And the culture around it too, the culture, because because the place, the especially the very first place I worked after I got out of law school, um, with my interview was at lunchtime, and we went to a restaurant and we drank, yeah. and I thought, okay, these are my people, we're good, yeah. <laughs> I'll take this job. I grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, where you know, drinking is just like synonymous with. with with virtually everything when it comes to socialization, when it comes to networking, it's, it's, it's ever present. Nita, I want to take a breather as we're talking about the topic of substance abuse and uh, chat about a partner of the podcast. And it's where I went through rehab. It's Gateway Foundation in Aurora, Illinois. If drugs or alcohol are starting to take over your life, it's time to get honest with yourself and get help. These days, many people are at home or out of work, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with stress and anxiety is stronger than ever before, right? Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your own home. Don't wait to get help that you or a loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. All right, now back to our conversation with Nita Sweeney. You know, we we were talking earlier about defining your why, and that resonated with me a lot. You know, why we're doing things, why it locked in for you that time with running. And that was the mind shift that happened for me probably about two years ago, where I realized that, yes, I have to remember sometimes what happened when I touched the hot stove in order to not touch the hot stove when it's lit again. But by and large, what's put me where I am today is that I realized that I wanted to be going towards something rather than running away from something. It's like, what do I want out of life rather than what what do I not want out of life or what am I avoiding? And I feel like because you, you address post post race blues a lot in the book and we we're all 
my wife and I did our first 50K this past fall, and the post-race blues were massive. It's always going to happen. But like in order to mitigate that and be like as happy and functional as possible, I think finding your why takes care of a lot of that because you really enjoy the journey and the training and the highs and lows, wouldn't you say? Yes. I also did a fit my first 50K this year. No, really? In June, I did. And it was it was the worst. I, I, I mean, it was actually a worse lull after it than my first marathon, which I thought was impossible because that was a pretty bad lull. But yeah, I like what you said about the journey. I'm also a meditator. And so bringing everything back to this moment really helps. I, I mean, it's not about, it is about the why. That's like big picture. But sometimes that can be too overwhelming for me. And there's so many, especially in writing, there are so many parts that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. And so I I just have to keep bringing it back to now, today. Now, there's a lot of self-care things that I knew how to do that I either didn't do or couldn't do, partly because my first 50K happened during a pandemic. And so the running group that I normally would have um, met with wasn't meeting, so I couldn't go out to breakfast with them. There were so many things that I would have done that would help with all of that. Just the, just the activities. And, and, and then there's just the fact that you're just not running as many miles Mm -hmm. and that really does something. So, yeah, I think that, I think you're right that remembering for some people, the why is really, really important. That doesn't, that doesn't work as well for me because I, I have to stay very close to where I am because mm-hmm. the getting too far out, for some reason, it just triggers the anxiety. It's important to figure out what motivates you. And so, you know, we're sitting here talking and what motivates Chris is different than what might motivate me. And that's fine. That's okay. That doesn't make either of it wrong. Um, what's more important is finding out the thing you know, lights you up. And so, so for me, it's, it's really been almost like the opposite of just staying exactly where I'm at so that whatever's happening right here is enough and isn't too much at the Mm. same time. (laughs) But yeah, I still, I still have a why. I mean, I still know that, especially with, um, I'll talk about book marketing a little bit and knowing why you're writing and what you're trying to say and who you're trying to reach is really, really important with that. So with running, um, you know, for me, it's about mental health. So each run is its own little container in a way. It's part of a big training plan, but as much as I can keep it its own little container so that if I have a bad run today, that doesn't mean the whole training plan is wrecked. Uh, Just because I have a good run today doesn't mean that, oh my gosh, well, now everything's going to be perfect the whole time. And I'm, you know, so it's just, for me, it's more about staying right where I'm at, but, but accepting that that works for me and that that doesn't mean somebody else who's not doing that hasn't found their solution. So I'm kind of a one size does not fit all person. Oh, Absolutely. And that's why, you know, everybody's recovery program is different. You know, we kind of, we borrow little bits and pieces from each other. And I love the meditative qualities too. Like, I feel like I'm internally trying to strike my balance between being here and being present now and working towards something and appreciating the journey in order to, uh, in, in order to avoid the blues after a soberversary or the end of a race and such. Yes. Yes. That's a good point. And the being present thing is getting easier for like literally this past week it's gotten easier because I've I've taken up swimming which I'm going to step out on a limb and guess you're not a swimmer having read your book. No. Did I I think I took that cha- there was actually a chapter in the one of the drafts about me learning to swim the day before I turned 50 was the first time I actually swam across a pool. Oh, wow. No, I, I don't think and that was in I, there. No, I think we took it out because it just seemed it was uh, it didn't quite fit with the trajectory, but it was it was definitely a, a big deal. No, I'm not a swimmer. 
earth sign all over. <laughs> now, I don't think there's any water in my, I'm not that I'm a, you know, not that we believe in astrology, but I think there's like no water signs in my. <laughs> no, it's funny. I mean, it, it's entertaining. You know, some people are into the astrology <laughs> stuff. I think there's yeah. something to it. Well, I think personality typing, I, I love personality typing, but yeah, I, um, it was very funny because my mother loved to swim. My sister loved to swim. My brother, he still loves to swim. He swims almost every day. He does laps in the pool. And my father used to say he swam like a rock. And that's me. <laughs> so in the pool, I take after my father. But I just was determined to do, you know, you hit those milestone birthdays and you want to do something special. So, Well, I one of the things I love about swimming is it is reinforcing being here now for me. I don't know if it'll make the cut, but the next book that I have coming out, which is about movement meditation, there is a short section about my experience of, of learning to swim at 50. And I think I opened, I think the first line of that section is something like, if I didn't stay present, I would drown. That's <laughs> it. That's exactly it. Uh, and for me, when I'm swimming, it is that. And it's sort of existing in the rhythm and the breathing. And for me, it was coming to the conclusion that, now bear in mind, when, when it comes to running, I am an extremely competitive person and I, I am very bent on going fast, a reasonable amount of speed. You know, when it comes to swimming, it is such a relief that I have, I have embraced the fact that the slower I swim, the better I swim and the more I enjoy it. Yes. Yes. I, I, it's so funny because now you're, you're like totally segueing me into my next book because I talk about. That's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to do. Yeah, right. This isn't my so first good. rodeo. No, no, you're so good. <laughs> you're so good. So a lot of times when you try to incorporate meditation into movement, which is what my next book is about, instead of sitting, doing the meditative awareness and focus while you're moving, you have to slow down the movement at first until you get some focus skill and attention skill. Some people already have it, but, but there's sort of a special quality about it. And so with swimming, it forces you to slow down because you just can't swim fast at first. Now, what I've been taught, and I don't have this from experience, is that as you swim slowly and learn the proper technique, ultimately, you will swim faster. So mm -hmm. it's the slowing down is actually a shortcut to getting faster. But the patience, it's a patience building thing. Even in the short term, I, you know, the first few times in the pool, part of this was being competitive, but mostly it was like being uncomfortable in water because I, I always had to cop out when it came to triathlons. It's like, boy, I'd love to do one, but I'm terrified of swimming. I'd sink like a stone. I can't swim. I can't swim. You know, I build up this narrative in my head until I, until I make it true. So when I started doing this, like I was trying to get to the other side as quickly as possible because it was safe over there. And in doing so I would get panicked about my breath I would get my heart pumping so hard because I'd be struggling to get to the other side. It was funny that the first time that I actually put my face down into the water and exhaled and breathed out bubbles and then turned and came up for air. The first time that I actually like slowed it down and did that, I looked up and I was like, holy shit, I'm halfway to the other side already. Yes. Yes. I was literally swimming faster by moving slower. And it's, it's, partly because you're not expending unneeded ex uh, energy. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's probably one of the biggest points I'm trying to make. The, the book I'm writing is not a performance book, mm -hmm. but that's a byproduct. That's a lovely, <laughs> lovely byproduct. Because if you can be so completely in whatever you're doing in a very relaxed way, that extra energy is available to you uh, to propel you across the pool. But yeah, that's my, my swimming teacher. Actually, she actually made me learn to breathe standing on my feet mm -hmm. first face in the water. And before she even let me paddle kick, you know, anything. That's smart. And partly it was because I was so terrified. I mean, I was yeah. just terrified. I just have, and I'm still not. Yeah. I mean, swimming, I don't like to be cold. I don't like to be wet. <laughs> 
but good for you. I'm so proud of you for doing that. I've been watching oh. you on social and you're like oh. really doing it. Yay. Cheers. Thank you. I, of course, I'm going to plug this in the intro and I'll bring it up in the closing of the episode too. But while we're at it, people should go to NitaSwinney.com because they can already pre-order that book. Yes, they can. The book title being How to Make Every Move a Meditation. What was it like shifting gears to really a meditation book? Because you, the book I just read was so entertaining and so endearing. It was so Nita uninhibited, which is so funny because you talk about in the book how you're an introvert, and, but yet here you are opening up about your bouts with suicidal ideations, you know, talking about wearing Depends during a race. I don't mean to give away too many spoilers, but if people don't want to read it, you know, before they sure do now, now that they heard me say that, <laughs> how did you decide to make that shift? Because to me, this sounds more like a book that I would pick up from my nightstand and read first thing in the morning and first thing at night. Whereas the other book was something that I would just grab any opportunity I got to, to kind of be entertained. So the new book is Nita's version of this. So oh, good. There'll be plenty of Nita in there. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. <laughs> that's what makes, that's the thing. I mean, there's, you know, 700,000 books about meditation and, but not, there isn't one by Nita yet. Too. <laughs> okay, good. But I've been, you know, I've been meditating for 25 years. I think um, my husband introduced me. We were dating at the time. And I, I, somebody said this the other day. This is a great pickup line. He said, you want to sit? And I said, you want to what? And that was my introduction. You know, his, his instruction was, okay, I'm going to set the microwave timer for five minutes. Try to notice your breath and try not to fidget. That was my initial <laughs> instruction. But um, so I mentioned meditation in Depression Hates a Moving Target. And there was the potential for a whole meditative thread in that book because I was kind of accidentally meditating while I was running because I'm always kind of meditating. So sort of when, you, when you've been doing it that long, it becomes just part of who you are. And so one day on the trail, we were running along and I don't know how somebody, they must've looked at me up online or something and you know, somebody I'd known, and then all of a sudden I'm this author. They knew they they knew me when all that kind of stuff. But she said, "Well, so you meditate? How how do you how do you do that?" And and I said, "Well, I'm actually you know, while we're not talking, I'm kind of meditating now." And so I explained mm -hmm. to her about my left foot, how I just hit. I I, I don't know if it's because I have that um, the bones are too close close together in my left ankle, and that was an issue I talked about a lot. And depression is a main target, but the bottom of my left foot is a sensation that I feel it just comes to my mind all the time. It's just very present. And so it's very easy for me to use that as an object of meditation to bring myself back to the here and now, a body sensation to bring myself back to where I'm actually at, as opposed to my grocery list or my, you know, Wall Street Journal or you know, <laughs> whatever, anything, um, taking the dog out, everything in between. And so I explained it to her. And, you know, they kind of went, uh-huh. And I thought, okay, no big deal. Well, a couple of days later, she came back and she said, I've been trying your left foot meditation. And that's interesting. I just didn't realize that you could be interested in your foot. And it really helps with the, make the miles go faster. And I feel, I feel better. Or some, I, she, I, you know, I wrote out, that's actually kind of the intro to the book there. And I thought, hmm. I've got something there. I, lo I love doing the body scan and I love sort of the grounding effect of like, we don't need to think about like sunshine and rainbows. It's a matter of acknowledging mm -hmm. pain and, and knowing that that's what that is. One of my favorite techniques as well is I love mindful eating. Yes. Yes. Uh, it's, and I mean, we eat three, four, five times a day, depending on our, our practices, just consider what you're chewing on and yeah. where it came from. Right. And what's interesting is, you know, you realize that you're not actually tasting your food and food is really tasty. Yeah. Right. It's tasty. And it, it puts sensations all through your body. It's not just in your mouth. Does this mean you cook now? No. <laughs> <laughs> and that is for safety reasons. <laughs> you know, I almost set the house on fire several times trying to cook it. And then I almost killed Ed. I yeah, I overcooked a pork chop in our early, early, it was like the first year we were married or something. I put the pork chops in, then preheated the oven, then cooked them the full time. And so they came out like rocks and 
the poor guy was really hungry. He'd just come home from work and he was determined to eat right then. And uh, so he's like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. I don't know if he was trying to make me feel good or whatever. But yeah, I, I had my back to him. And all of a sudden I realized there was no one talking. And I turned around and he's got his hands gripping the edge of the table and he cannot breathe. And I did the Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> Luckily, I knew the Heimlich maneuver. And yeah, that pork chop flew across the room. And oh, wow. I, I, I don't think I've much sense yeah that that'll that'll leave a lasting impression that, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of like touching the hot stove luckily he you know he had been divorced from his first marriage um uh enough years that he had learned how to cook and he actually likes to cook yeah and he's really he's a very good cook i mean we eat well awesome and uh uh so yeah but no no <laughs> i like to eat <laughs> well, I, and i clean up i do you know i can you can meditate when you're loading the dishwasher mm. you can just be present feel the dish in your hand and Notice that the pupperina is closely, is just gradually creeping toward the dishwasher to try to lick off all the plates. You just notice that. And then notice your the, the, the sort of half pleasant body sensation because she's adorable. And then the other body sensation of dog, will you stop? You know, those are all going on at the same time. So there's something about like the, if, if the dog, like, you know, if I let the dog clean off my plate, that's one thing. There's something about the dog licking the dishwasher that's on, that's unsettling. <laughs> yeah, it just is. Oh yeah. I mean, it's cute when they're little, but that, and those are the kinds of things that if she had been in a household where somebody had trained her, she wouldn't, you know, she would not do that. Right. And now, I mean, she'll steal food out of your hand. I mean, she just is. <laughs> She's they're, they're dogs have personalities just like people. It's true. And she's Morgan, you could have left a full plate of fried chicken on the coffee table, leave the room, and he would be sitting there when you came back staring at it with drool, you know, down <laughs> his face, but he would not have touched it. Oh, Scarlet, it'd be gone, bones and all. <laughs> you know, we've talked about what's next with the book. Uh that's gonna be coming out in a few months. Folks should pre-order it right now. Uh, your the first book leaves off with the epilogue of you signing up for a second full marathon, and then you did a third, and then after the third, you did your fifty k last year. Does that represent the running resume? That in like That's, two and a, yeah. two and a half dozen half marathons or something like that. Yeah, I have. Uh, I uh, before the first book went into contract, I was I was hot on the journey of getting a half marathon in each of the fifty states. I'm uh, I'm a slow runner, and I'm you know getting not a I'm not going to say I'm old, but I'm not a young runner. And so doing a half as opposed to a full in each of the 50 states made sense because we travel and it's easier to, to recover from a half. You can go to the museum the next day. You're not yep. limping. <laughs> it doesn't really disrupt the lifestyle as much. Yeah. Right. I've done 29 and also the training. It's not as hard. The training exactly. isn't as long, especially when you're, especially when you run. I mean, I run twice as long as most people who run marathons. I mean, it's, it's a spectrum, but it's my, my, my times are slow and I don't care. <laughs> I'm out there. So I've done 29 halves at this point and I'm signed up for one soon. So I'm hoping to hit 30 halves in 18 states. So I'm, I'm trying to get my 19th state maybe early this year. You know, the pandemic really yeah. slowed things down too. But but mostly it was just the book and, and um, having that commitment to really do the work of both writing it, but then after you write it, you have to market it. And that's a very time-consuming thing as well. Enjoyable, but still time-consuming. Right. We, you know, we've alluded to it a couple of times. Uh, how did you get involved with Still I Run? Did they find you? Did you find them? No, I found them. I was actually, <laughs> I was actually thinking of starting something like Still I Run and I wouldn't have had the energy and I didn't, uh, there's two things. I wouldn't have had the energy, the time or the skill set. The woman who started it, Sasha Wolf, was the perfect person to start it because she is, even though she has, you know, depression, anxiety, has all these kinds of things that she'll talk about openly. Um, she is one of the highest energy people I've ever met. And she has the skill set. She's a marketing communications uh, writer, PR type person. She has that, she has that personality. And she's been doing that professionally for many years in her job. So um, so she was perfect. And she, I don't know how many people were in the Facebook group, but I just started going through Facebook groups, trying to find something related to running for mental health and bam, it popped up. And so I joined the group and then I think it was, has it been, how long has it been? It's been at least a year. 
they, I think they invited me to write a blog post, which I did. And then I just emailed Sasha one day and I said, what can I do? How can I help? I don't know, you know, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes here. I know you've got some key players that are already doing a boatload of the work. How, how does this work? And she said, you want to be on the board? And I went, <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> and I had been on boards of nonprofits before, so I kind of know how that works. And I was a, a lawyer too. So yeah, and I became, I'm now the blog editor, which I've sort of taken a little hiatus until probably April because I really have to focus on getting the next book to the publisher and really making it as good as it possibly can be so that readers will understand what I'm trying to say and that I'll feel clear and things like that. So yeah, I'm on the board and I'm the blog editor and you know, it's it's kind of interesting to see the behind the scenes. There are oh, 20 people all full working volunteer and Sasha's a volunteer. We we hope that at some point we can start paying her. Oh right. She works a four, she works a 40-hour week job. Mm -hmm. An intense it's probably more like 50 hours, but she works a full-time high-level job at a big company. She has three children and she runs still I run. And I mean, she is in everything. She's involved in every part of it. Early in the days of the podcast, uh, this thing launched in November of 2020. And she was the third guest who I had on the podcast. And she was in the midst of getting things organized for the uh, um, Breaking Stigma and Stride 5K. And there was a point where we were exchanging emails and she was like, sorry, I've been stressed out. Like I literally have a room where the floor is covered with swag bags. Like she was oh. the person who was packing up the swag yeah. bags to shit. She still is. She still is. <laughs> and they finally, we finally, because, because she keeps bringing people on, she's, you know, she knows how to surround herself with skilled people. And so she's brought in people who have contacts, people who know how to do that kind of thing, mm -hmm. organizational people too. And they finally are connecting, um, with another organization who we hope will be handling the shipping. So she's not labeling boxes at 3 a.m. <laughs> while nursing her infant child. I mean, it was just, it was this year especially has been insane. But yeah, that's the hope is that at some point she can go, that we can pay her, my God. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of the first things that I, when I, when we did the strategic plan, we did a strategic plan last year. And that was one of the first things I said is, Sasha, we should probably pay you, you know? Right. And she's like, no, I'm like, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if that happens. But yeah, it's right now it's still all volunteer and it's amazing. People are so skilled that she has uh, the social media team, especially is somebody who does a lot. I mean, I hire a few people, but I do a lot of my own social media just because it's expensive and mm. you know, authors don't, you know, unless you're Stephen King, nobody's getting rich. <laughs> um, now you're an ambassador now, right? I am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For the cool. first time. No, it, it, it is, it is a lot of fun and it's really been the, this is when I've really sort of full fledged immersed myself in the still I run community. You know, I felt like in the past, like I, I, I dabble with this group or with that group. This has been nice to really, in terms of being part of like an online community, it's felt really good. It's such a great space. So people should check out uh, stillirun.org and follow them on socials because it's, it is such an empowering experience and in a place where you can literally hop on there one day and be like, I don't have anything to share about or run, but you know, this is what I'm going through in terms of like my self-talk. Does anybody have any pointers? And you've got a dozen people springing into action and saying me too, or I've been through that. This is what I found. And, and it, it's, it's a truly special space. It is. They, they work very hard to keep it safe. Yeah. There are people that that's, that's their job to mm -hmm. keep it safe too. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, we, I can tell you that's some of the behind the scenes stuff is that we have dealt with some situations where people have had responses that we didn't feel were safe and we'll take them down or we'll kick people out. Yeah. I mean, people get kicked out if you're not, you know, it's not about, it's more than, I mean, there are rules, but they're there to keep the community safe. Right. And uh, so, yeah, I can, I mean, I, that's one of the weird things about being an author is you become kind of this authority mm -hmm. and man, I have bad days. I feel like an imposter. I'm not in the moment. I'm not running. I'm, you know, I mean, all this stuff happens. It just is the way it is. And to be able to just go in there and say, well, this didn't go well <laughs> <laughs> and have people go, oh my gosh, I understand it. You know, 
it's it's just so so refreshing because we i mean because social media can just be horrible oh it's, oh it can I, just be horrible it is it is the single most taxing component about being an advocate in my personal experience is dealing with the social media stuff i i i, I kind of want to wrap up with this thought i'm very inspired by your your vulnerability and your openness, I should say, about the fact that when you were a writer, it's hard to be a published writer. You know, you wrote the memoir about your last year with your dad and, and you couldn't, you know, get somebody to pick it up. You went through 10 revisions of Depression Hates a Moving Target before, I believe it's Mango Publishing. Is Do I have that mm -hmm. name right? When yes, they, Mango Publishing Group. When, when, when they picked it up and, you know, all of the, you know, the rejection letters, like the first wave that I went through with my memoir, I got about uh, 75 rejection letters and some of it was just crickets. It was just radio silence. So your stick with on that front is very inspiring to me. The book is so inspiring to me. And like, I have my copy that I'm going to share with anybody and everybody who's either starting running or they're, you know, a weathered runner like myself. People should go to your website and get their own copy. I'm going to go back and reread it. I want to leave you with this question because I think this might capture just how amazing your story is and how we all kind of arrive as human beings. As an introvert, this has been so comfortable chatting with you. Like, were, were you nervous about this conversation or do you get nervous about, about chatting with people these days? Oh, yeah. I still get nervous. Yeah, I'm sitting here sweating. But the, <laughs> but the difference is that I know now, I know to trust that the answer to the question will come. Or if I don't know the answer, I can think about it or I can say, you know, I don't know. Mm. And that that is okay. Yeah. That a, somebody who is really authentic is so refreshing. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's what I want to be. I just want to be real. And so, um, of course I still get the jitters and I've done a lot of these. I mean, that's what we do. <laughs> um, I've written a lot, but, but the introversion is very interesting because right now, I mean, I think about the audience, yes, but there is no audience. It's just you and me. Yeah. We're just sitting here having a conversation. I'm yeah. drinking my tea. Yeah. Um, you're looking at me, your dogs, you know, your dogs are here. And that was the other thing about running. I was so afraid to run in a group, but you end up just running next to one person. There's yeah. just one person right beside you. And so, so I have been able to work through a lot of the social anxiety, deal with the introversion. The meditation really helps with that too. Um, the meditation really helps with that too, because as the sensations of anxiety arise, I can notice them and not try to push them away because they will go away on their own if I don't try to push them away. In a way, it all began with running for 60 seconds, walking for three minutes. I can't remember what the intervals were, but with yeah, it's, I think it's 60 seconds and two minutes. Yeah. Like that. But it, and it doesn't say running and it doesn't say running. It says jogging yeah if it had said running yeah. we're talking about the couch to 5k interval training which is where i started and that's what my friend was doing if it had said running i'm not <laughs> sure i would have ever begun I'm, I'm so glad you did because here we are and this i know and this has been so this has been so good this i'm gonna i'm gonna ride this conversation straight through the weekend so yeah me too me too thank you well thank you so much for joining me and i i, I can't wait to read the new book so thank you nita thank you All it's right. an honor to be here cheers take care bye all right, gang, so get thee to nitasweeney.com. Order her first book. I cannot recommend it enough. Depression Hates a Moving Target. And pre-order her book, How to Make Every Move a Meditation. Find her on social media. Find Still I Run, for whom she is a board member. Find it on social media because, you know, as we discussed, I have taken so much strength and joy from that group. I cannot possibly recommend it enough. And that's whether you're a runner, a weightlifter, basically if, if you use exercise in coping and dealing with mental health struggles, it is a group for you. So 
Thank you so much to Still I Run for graciously naming me an ambassador this year. Thank you to Nita for everything that she does and for joining me on the podcast. And thank you to you, the listener, for joining us in this space. Remember, until we catch up again, if it feels like things are falling apart outside of this space, right here, we are always coming together. I love you. Did you know that? I love you all so very much. And we'll catch you soon. Peace. We out.